Today on Blue 58, if there is one big question mark about the Packers' 3-0 start, it's the defense. And given their investments on that side of the ball, Mike Pettin is facing a lot of questions from Packers fans. Should he be on the hot seat? And if so, what does that mean for the rest of the season? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. If you notice this one dropping into your feed a little bit later than usual, you are not... You're not mistaken. Had some computer issues uh, last night, so we are recording early morning on release day. So you get this one hot and fresh, the latest, freshest takes. And I was actually hoping that with our first topic here that we would get some new information overnight. But unfortunately, that is not the case. We'll get to that in a second, though. Wanted to bring something to your attention. Uh, A a reader and listener um, pointed out that there hasn't been a lot of new content, new looking content at thepowersweep.com in a while, and that is entirely my fault. So most, uh, as we we talked about a while back, most of the the writing that I've been doing lately is ending up at acmepackingcompany.com, now the associate editor there. Um, so I've been doing in the past linking, just linking my articles that I write there at thepowersweep.com, uh, as well as trying to sprinkle in some native content there as well. Uh, but I, I haven't been doing that lately. So the site is not dead. The site has not gone gone, gone dark. Uh, I just needed to update the link. So if you want to get a look at all the stuff that I've been writing for acmepackingcompany.com, as well as some new stuff on the way for thepowersweep.com, be sure to continue checking in there. And pretty soon we're going to have a new homepage design that's going to make it easier for you to keep track of all the stuff that is going live as it happens. Speaking of as it happens, we're going to get some interesting updates here today. And over the next few days, about the first big test for the NFL this season, this unusual season. Now, I'm not an epidemiologist, but this is going to be an interesting time for the NFL dealing with coronavirus. The Vikings and Titans game and the subsequent situation there might result in some Packers-related changes. And this is just an interesting story, I think, regardless of what happens uh, Packers related. The short version of the the plot so far is that the Titans have had some positive tests, and it's not clear yet if the Vikings have any related positives. But both of their games this weekend may be delayed as a result. Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated points out that the Packers may play a role in this situation. The Vikings buy is week seven. The Texans buy is week eight. The Texans play the Packers in week seven, and the Vikings play the Packers in week eight. There may be some schedule-related moving around there. It might give you some flexibility if they have to delay the Vikings and Titans games this weekend. Now, if the Titans end up having games delayed, it could also affect the Packers-Titan game in week 16, which, if you'll remember, is already a weird one because they haven't announced if that game is going to be on Saturday or Sunday. It's also, I think, a prime candidate to get flexed. Both the Titans and Packers are good games, but I think there's a chance that the NFL might say there's a slightly more compelling game than a NFC versus AFC matchup in Week 16. Maybe a divisional game somewhere else, maybe something with a little bit more direct uh, playoff implications. So Packers-Titans might get moved anyway. And if the Titans have to have a couple of their games moved around because of an outbreak, that could also play into that. This ultimately is a weird situation no matter what happens. The Titans, for sure, I haven't verified this for the Vikings, but the Titans don't seem to be able to be in their facility at all 
at all until Saturday. No lifting weights, no meetings of any kind. It's all virtual from now until Saturday. That is a significant complicating factor if you're trying to get ready for a game on Sunday. If you're doing any NFL picks, I would probably adjust them accordingly. It's also worth noting, completely unrelated to either the Titans or the Vikings, that Atlanta Falcons first-round pick A.J. Terrell tested positive late last week and was held out of last Sunday's game. There haven't been any other positive tests that we know of so far in Atlanta, but that is a situation worth keeping an eye on because presumably he was around some of his teammates and coaches and other people in the Atlanta Falcons facility. Related to that, the Falcons are about to pack up and head to one of the hottest hotspots in the United States right now. This is not a knock against Green Bay or Wisconsin. It's just the facts. There's a lot of cases going on there, especially if you look at a per capita basis. I don't know if the Titans are concerned about that because they're not going to be out in the general public. But still, the optics of it are not great. And the NFL is certainly conscious of the optics, as they always are. Whatever the case may be, this is the first real big test. And if you told me back in early August that the NFL would make it to the end of September without a real big test, I would have been a little bit skeptical. I've always been fairly confident that the NFL was going to push through this season, but it was always more of the variety that, yeah, they're just going to keep doing whatever they're doing no matter what. And that's kind of how they've approached it so far. Scott Van Pelt on his podcast did a did a neat little little bit about how the NFL has handled this so far. And the, everybody is is canceling games, the, the NCAA tournament's on, and everybody's like, hey, NFL, you're going you're gonna to postpone the draft? Nope. We're just going to have a draft. It's going to be a Zoom call, and everybody's going to watch it. We're going to stick Roger Goodell in a quarter zip in his basement, and it's going to be great. Well, you're going to delay training camp and, and preseason, right? Nope. We're just not going to have one until the, the very – the very latest possible moment, we'll have a couple weeks of training camp, then we're just going to roll into the regular season. No fans, whatever, but we're just going to keep going. And it's worked out for the NFL so far, and it, it seems like they've got a really good plan. But as we noted right at the end of, uh, end of the preseason time that we did have, that was on easy mode. This is the first real hard test, coordinating schedules, coordinating travel. And I'm interested to see how they handle it. They seem to have done pretty well so far. That can always change. I, I'm cautiously optimistic based on how things have gone so far. And again, I don't think I would have said that a month ago. Let's talk about the offensive line for a second before we get to Mr. Mike Pettin. The Packers' offensive line has been real good this year. Aaron Rodgers leads the league in sack percentage right now. He's only been sacked on 1.3% of his dropbacks. That is the best in the NFL. None of the sacks the Packers have allowed have been the fault of the offensive line. Both of them have been free rushers that have come free uh, because Aaron Rodgers didn't account for the, an extra blitzer or something like that, and he has taken the blame for that. That's me throwing, the, throwing Aaron Rodgers under the bus. And I think we've got to take a second to give some credit to Adam Stenovich and Luke Butkus. Now, the Packers have some really excellent offensive linemen. But I bring up these two guys because they were a big question mark when Matt LaFleur was assembling his staff back in 2019. Tom Silverstein had a column back then, completely fairly, I should add, wondering about these two hires. I'll read you a couple selections here. 
Quote, LaFleur chose Stenovich because of his knowledge of the Los Angeles Rams and San Francisco 49ers style of offense he plans to run. It helps that Stenovich had a cup of coffee in the NFL, but can he do for David Bakhtiari, Lane Taylor, Corey Lindsley, and possibly Brian Bulaga what veteran offensive line coach James Campen did for them? To assist Stenovich, LaFleur could have hired a veteran line coach whose career might be winding down or is out of a job, but he hired 39-year-old Luke Butkus. He has three years of NFL experience as an assistant offensive line coach and five at a low-level quality control offensive assistant position. As a result, LeFleur will be rolling with two offensive line coaches with minimal NFL experience, end quote. And again, to dispel any idea that I might just be picking on Tom Silverstein here, I circled back and, and found some of my own notes from the time that Stenovich was hired, and I wondered a lot of the same things. You, Even if you are confident in Stenovich's philosophy, you could wonder pretty fairly if he was just getting hired because of his connections to Lafleur. They go back together to Stenovich's playing days in Lafleur's early, early coaching coaching years. Stenovich was on Houston's practice squad in 2008 and 2009, and LaFleur was the offensive quality control coach there during that time. Make the connections. Now Stenovich has a job with the Packers, but the Packers offensive line has been great so far. And to be fair, they've got some great pieces to work with. David Bakhtiari is one of the best there is in the NFL, apparently both blocking and, or pass blocking and run blocking this year. Elton Jenkins is, of course, Uh, a rising star as much as one can be on the offensive line. Corey Lindsley is as solid as he's ever been, and the Packers have had plenty of options on the right side of the offensive line. It's it's been mixed quality there, but you can't say they haven't had options. Billy Turner at right guard and right tackle. Rick Wagner at right tackle. Jared Veld here and Brian Bulaga at right tackle. Lucas Patrick at right guard. Uh, Lane Taylor at right guard. John Runyon at right guard. They have options to plug in there, but it's all worked together pretty seamlessly. And we shouldn't forget the role that offensive line coaches play in making the most of that. Making the most of it is the big question a lot of fans have asked me this week about Mike Pettin. And I know sometimes I can skew a little bit negative been working on that in my personal life. I can be a little bit of a cynic sometimes. It's not necessarily a great personality trait. Maybe in 2020, we're all a little bit of a cynic. But Mike Pettin is facing some questions. I don't think we're on screaming hot, hot seat level yet. We are at more like a, hey, son, we got to talk about your grades sort of conversation than, hey, we're packing you up and sending you to boarding school type conversation. But the short version of what more than a few people have asked me is this. Why hasn't anything changed with Mike Pettin in year three? Rudy, the good question asker, writes, I'm not confident at, that the Falcons game with pretty solid offense themselves will be, will be anything different than what we've seen so far. The defense has just looked off, and I'm not sure it's going to get much better. The talent is there with elite players at all three levels. We saw some strong performances last year. Rodgers, we've got a defense now, comes to mind, but it seems we're very far from that point. I think that's a fair assessment. Mickle asks via email, quote, the Packers have done quite well in both the draft and free agency with regard to adding talent on the defense. In day one and two of the draft in recent years, Kenny Clark, Darnell Savage, Jair Alexander, Rashawn Gary, and Kevin King in free agency – 
Zedarius and Preston Smith and Adrian Amos. In fact, they've spent quite a lot of resources shoring up the defense. The resources on offense that they've used the last couple of years is much more meager, but the performance is much better, end quote. In short, a lot of people are asking, shouldn't it be better than it is? It seems like right now the defense is less than the sum of its parts. And that's concerning given how the offensive is playing. So what do we do about Pettin? Because he seems to be the big issue here. And before we get to that, we should take a look quick at, at what is better and what isn't better than in 2019. The what is better is pretty short. Nothing. What's worse is almost everywhere. The Packers are worse in almost every defensive statistical category, at least the high-level ones in 2020 than they were in 2019. Points allowed, they've dropped from 9th to 21st. Takeaways, they've dropped from 7th to 18th. Passing yards, 15th to 18th. Net yards per attempt, if you want to get a little bit more complicated there, 18th to 25th. Overall defensive DVOA, from 15th to 26th. Passing DVOA, 9th to 13th. Rushing from 27th to 30th. The only places they are better, markedly better, is rushing yards allowed. They've jumped from 23rd in 2019 to 14th in 2020. But that hardly matters because they are notably worse in what they are giving up per carry. Last year, they were 24th in yards per rushing attempt league-wide. This year, they are 29th. You can also just dismiss the rushing yard stuff out of hand because it's not really the Packers' defensive philosophy anyway. And given how games have gone for opposing teams against the Packers, they haven't had much incentive to run anyway, which is, to be fair, part of Pettin's philosophy. He doesn't focus much on run defense because he's counting on the Packers being far enough ahead that he can just play against the past. So a couple questions then. Is this a surprise? And then what do they do from here? First, is this a surprise? No, Unfortunately, this is pretty much what we expected. Mike Patton is very much a, well, this is my philosophy, and we're going to stick to that style coach. He is much less malleable than he might think he would be, dating back to his early time with the Packers. The way that he talked about finding roles for guys, keeping things simple on defense. It hasn't really been as adaptable as you might assume it would be. And to his credit, I don't think his philosophy is 100% bad. The Packers have, at times this year, eaten teams up with it. Look at the second and third quarters against the Lions. The Packers figure out what the Lions are doing, and they lock them down for more than half a game. And along these same lines, we're having basically this exact conversation late in the season and then, and then again in January. We were talking about what the Packers might do as far as moving on from Mike Pettin on episode 258. The Packers then had a ton of talent on defense and weren't getting consistent results. So do you move on from Mike Pettin? Or do you keep him in hope for the best? Because you've got some continuity and you've got some chemistry. 
and there's no guarantee things are going to be better, and that's still true. Episode 276, how do we evaluate Matt LaFleur and Mike Pettin? The Packers did jump in their defensive performance from 2018 to 2019, so I think it's worth talking about this exact section from that podcast. Was Pettin better in 2019, or were his players? I think it's pretty safe to say you can attribute the jump in defensive performance for the Packers last season to Pettin's players. He seemed to do, we said at the time, a better job of utilizing the talent he's got than Dom Capers did. But it still seemed like he wasn't getting the results he should. But at the time, we said this. We've got two clear conclusions based on Pettin in 2019 and in 2018. The Pettin scheme first is going to bank exclusively pretty much on his players. And then, given that we know the talent that he's got, we can evaluate him almost exclusively on outcomes. And the outcomes haven't been great so far. There are two possible outcomes right now. First, you keep him and hope for the best. This is by far the most likely outcome. And things aren't really going to change much for Pettin going forward. You're going to get a couple personnel adjustments. Kenny Clark is going to be back here in the near future, whether it's this week or after the bye. Kamal Martin is going to be healthy. That'll be an upgrade in the middle because you'll have him next to Kirksey or whoever's playing Kirksey's role instead of Chris Barnes, which is probably an upgrade as good as Barnes has played so far. But other than that, it's going to be pretty much the same. Doesn't seem like Damon Harrison is interested in coming in Green Bay. And any other personnel upgrades that you make in this time period are not going to move the needle all that much. So really, that leaves you just hoping for uh, positive quarterback matchups for the Packers. And the next two months, in that respect, look pretty doable. They get Matt Ryan next week. He's probably the the hottest quarterback they're going to face right now. Tom Brady immediately after the bye, which, uh, given how the Packers played against the death by a thousand cuts, New Orleans Saints might be a bit of a problem because that's how Tom Brady kind of likes to play. After that, it's Deshaun Watson. Then the 49ers might be Jimmy Garoppolo. Gardner Minshew after that. Phillip Rivers after that. Then Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. Just looking at the quarterbacks there, there's some pretty winnable matchups, especially those last four there. I'd like Gardner Minshew as, no, as much as the next guy, but given where the, the Jaguars are on offense overall, I feel pretty good about the Packers taking care of business in that one. Same with 1,000-year-old Phillip Rivers. Nick Foles um, might destroy you for a quarter, uh, but he's also going to be Nick Foles for three quarters. And Carson Wentz, who is he in 2020 anyway? You also can hope for complimentary football too. If the Packers offense keeps forcing three and outs, or can keep forcing shootouts, the offense wouldn't be forcing three and outs, Uh, the defense matters less. It just does. Uh, It's not going to result in a lot of pretty-looking stat lines for the Packers' defense, but it's just a fact. The Packers' defense, as Chris Collinsworth pointed out multiple times on Sunday, is built for shootouts. Style points don't count for anything. If the Packers end up winning the Super Bowl this year in a shootout, if it's 31-26 to in the Super Bowl, 38-35 in the Super Bowl, guess what? The Packers are still Super Bowl champions. You're not going to be sitting there all offseason saying, yeah, but the defense wasn't super great in the Super Bowl, was it? No, it wasn't. This is who the Packers are, and there's a chance it could take them all the way to the Super Bowl. But beyond this stuff, you're just hoping you don't find someone who can exploit the run defense. And again, 
that's not a great option. Hope isn't really a plan. And just ask the 49ers how exploiting the Packers' defense goes. Pretty well. You can do it all the way to the Super Bowl. If you're not sold on hope as a plan, you can always fire him right now. But your options are extremely limited right now. There is no external candidate who's going to come in in essentially October and fix your defense. And besides, who's the defensive coordinator that you're bringing in from outside the organization right now who could have a meaningful impact anyway? They have no off-season program, no ramp-up time. You can't just bring somebody in so you fire Mike Patton even after the Falcons game and say, all right, guys, here's a playbook. we got to play Tom Brady in a little less than two weeks. Good luck. Here we go. Let's all learn the plays. That's kind of just insanity. So you've got to have somebody who's going to keep things basically the same, making some small adjustments, but that's about it. So that leads us to really just one option. Jerry Gray is your new defensive coordinator. Currently the Packers defensive backs coach. A lot of experience as a high-level defensive mind. He's done it before as the D.C. He's had some mixed results. A couple really elite defenses with the Titans and Bills. A couple stinkers too. Would that make things better? I don't know. Would it be different? Absolutely. And different is sometimes better. The particulars in the case aren't super important, but I think the most relevant example here is actually, I think, like the 2012 Ravens, whatever year, whatever year it was that the Ravens won the Super Bowl. It's not not important, the the wherefores and the whys, but late in the season they made a change at offensive coordinator. Things had just not been clicking, flowing smoothly. They were not getting the results that they should have with the talent that they had on offense, and the the Ravens have never really been a dynamite offensive team, but uh, that year in particular, um, they seemed to be better positioned to play well on offense than they had been. And late in the season, they make a change at offensive coordinator. There's a couple bumps for a couple weeks. Then they get things together for the playoffs. Joe Flacco gets hot. The, the new offensive coordinator is pushing all the right buttons, and they ride Joe Flacco all the way to the Super Bowl. And they get a little help from Jim Harbaugh, who kind of laid down for him in the Super Bowl as well, but that's an entirely different problem. Packers can have somebody who lays down for them in the Super Bowl. I would not I would not care about that because, again, no style points in the NFL. But it's not unheard of to make a change at coordinator in season, get a little bit of a bump, and things are better from then on out. It does happen. It's not like it's impossible, but you're pretty much looking at an internal hire. That's what happened there, and that's what would probably happen now. I don't know enough about Jerry Gray to say how he would change things substantially for the Packers, but right now it seems like they're doing a lot of the same stuff. Drop seven, rush four, and just hope for the best. Ty Summers talked about that in his press conference, how they essentially were trying to keep everything in front of them against the Saints, which is a weird approach because Drew Brees is going to try to keep everything fairly short to inter- intermediate anyway. Even if we're talking about peak Drew Brees with, with peak arm strength Drew Brees, he's never been a you know kind of grip it and rip it type guy. He's always tried to attack that short to intermediate range, and now it's gotten extremely short, and the Packers are just kind of like, yeah, we'll, we'll just sit back here and, and let you find a receiver and, and work a little bit. And as we saw, that works pretty well for the Saints. That's what they want to do. 
Would Jerry Gray change that? I don't know. But the approach would be different, and I don't think you can rule it out out of hand. I get the sense we're going to have this conversation a lot over the course of the season. And I think it's important to just lay out the scenarios here. What could happen either way? It's a gamble to change defensive coordinators in season. But given how the Packers offense is playing, it might be a gamble worth worth playing or worth taking. If your defense could be 5% better, 10% better than it is right now, that could make a huge defense or a difference down the stretch. To close out, it is also worth noting that the Packers defense might look a whole lot different but for just a couple plays. There's at least two dropped interceptions that could have had a big impact against the Lions. There was a drop pick by Christian Kirksey that would have stopped one scoring drive. There was a drop pick six, pretty much, by Jair Alexander in that Saints game that takes it from the Saints breaking 30 and being with one, within one score at the, at the end to a Packers double-digit win, a comfortable win. The defensive performance looks a lot different if you just change a couple of those plays. And it's still early. We may not know a lot about the the Packers' defense for another month, and even then we might not know all that much. That's the funny thing about, about football. An interesting YouTube comment from a listener comes to mind. Don't have the exact word for word here. But he said, or she, I don't know for sure, it doesn't really matter. I still, I've, I've given up on trying to predict what the Packers are going to be week in and week out. We are past rational thought with the Packers, which is kind of a fun place to be. It's stressful, but it is a fun place to be. You never know what you're going to get. And that kind of feels how, feels in microcosm, like what the defense is doing this year. What are they going to be this week? Who knows? Are they going to give up 35 points? Who knows? Are they going to absolutely shut somebody down, force three interceptions? Sack the quarterback five times, have an amazing performance. Who knows? We don't know. But that's kind of exciting. To leave you on a positive note, Alan Lazard is having an absolutely bonkers season this year. Pro fo- or Football Outsiders, not Pro Football Outsiders, FootballOutsiders.com updated their DVOA rankings this, this week. And you can take this with a grain of salt, but he is the best, most efficient receiver in the league, according to those numbers. I think that's a fun story for Lazard, the former undrafted free agent. The guy who is knocked a little bit for his speed is making plays deep down the field week in and week out. That's pretty exciting. Even if you think the Packers should should have upgraded at receiver, even if you if you now think you'd like to see a little bit more talent there, he is still a fun story. And he's getting some statistical recognition around the league now too. And I think that should be celebrated. So I've got for you in this episode. Thank you so much for listening in. I do, again, apologize about getting this one up a little bit late. Um, Hopefully that doesn't happen again. But if it does, uh, we will soldier on and just continue through this weird 2020 season. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode and you think there's somebody else who might benefit from hearing it as well, go ahead and share that. Help more people find the show and help us continue this conversation around the Green Bay Packers because ultimately that's going to help us achieve our goal of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.